power in the verse can stop me. What's going on guys? My name is El De Niro and welcome to episode 119 of the Midnight Hour. At this point, you're probably wondering, what the fuck is the story with this podcast? Does it exist? Does it not exist? And the truth is, I have no idea. But here we are. Um this episode is going to be just me. Um it's kind of a surprise to myself. It's currently 10 to 8 on the 3rd of May. So ideally, you are listening to this just a few hours from now, and um, and that's great if I can do that. Um, I, I'm kind of in a weird place. <laughs> like I embarrass myself um, whenever I listen to the intros of my midnight hours, and I, I talk about things that nobody cares about. Like I listen to a lot of podcasts where the intro is like fucking ten minutes of some guy telling me about his commute to work or something like that, and um, I don't always care about those things. With some people I do, um, but with most people I don't. And so whenever I listen back to my own stuff, I'm like, Jesus Christ, nobody cares about this, man. But um, I don't know, maybe some of you do. I, I feel like I have like just a slightly different connection to my audience than most people do. It's probably because it's so small and the people who've hung on for this are people who've hung on for me rather than the content itself, you know what I mean? Um. But today I want to talk about the top 10 most important albums to me. And it's kind of like a really pretentious thing to talk about, I feel like. Um, But I have notions of making a music podcast slash music channel or some kind of project where I talk about my opinions on music because there are plenty of them, right? Like, um, I got a, a tweet like a while back. I tweeted something like, does anyone want me to talk about anything on the podcast? I have a, a burning desire to talk, uh, or I have a burning desire to podcast, and it's not going away. And somebody replied some like really nice tweet that was like something about um, uh, that they really appreciate the way that I've perceived music and stuff. And I'm pretty sure the tweet has been deleted, and I couldn't find the guy because I think he also said that he. Um, would like to talk to me or something um I, like I can't remember it was it was a few months ago now but um I really liked the tweet so <laughs> um there you go it's it's sad that it's gone forever maybe I was on drugs and imagined that it was there and it's not actually there but um it just got me thinking like I know that most people don't like when I talk about music but um I don't care like in in my podcast a couple of weeks ago with Sven he was saying that he got into Our Lady Peace because of me, and I was like, well, that's, I don't know how to feel about that, it makes me kind of flattered, but it's also exciting for me, because when you really like stuff, you want other people to like it too, Um, and when I really like stuff, I love to talk about it, and dissect it, and find out exactly what it is that I like about it, and why I like it, and what that says about me, and you know, um, how my interests influence my worldview, and things like that, so it's like exciting for me. Um, so a quick disclaimer, um, I know that some bands are not cool and it's not cool to like some bands and I'm kind of past caring about that. Like I feel like for a long time I've had to put forward this like 
ironic version of myself that just ironically reviews things that I otherwise like and I'm so afraid of the fact that it's not cool to like them and I'm kind of past that like I don't feel like I care anymore like I think it's fine um the the title of this is most important albums of my life so they might not necessarily be albums that I still listen to to this day but they are albums that have had an impact on my life in some way and there's a saying that I should have to hand but it's something like nostalgia is the most toxic emotion or something like that um but nostalgia is just this incredibly powerful force um like like there are certain highs that you get from drugs that I don't think can even um compare with uh, like having a couple of beers and listening to something that you listened to when you were 16 and being taken back to only the good times um probably talk about more of that a little bit later but um nostalgia is very strong and I think if something is completely lacking in substance and you can say it's objectively not a good piece of art or whatever the fact that you subjectively perceive it as great because it triggers your nostalgia like I think that that's good and I think that that's healthy and um I don't really side with the people who talk about nostalgia being toxic I think it's good um or actually maybe it isn't good or bad right because some people are nostalgic for you know <laughs> pre-civil rights era times and and uh, and things like that like i don't know um maybe i haven't thought this out but i'm not gonna get political because i don't fucking know anything about politics and and i hate that i feel the need to comment on them all the fucking time but um yeah so like a lot of you are gonna know about some of the albums i'm gonna talk about um quick uh disclaimer as well in addition to the whole i don't care if you don't think i'm cool because i like these bands type thing um i usually with a with an episode like this i would have bullet points to read off um or notes or something like that i I don't have any i just really want to get this episode up tonight because i want to see what people think of it and um if people like it and stuff like that i i think i'd like to make videos like this in future or a podcast like this in future or whatever um so you will hear me clicking like this and i am merely going to be clicking between the track lists of the albums because i think looking at the tracks is gonna make me think of things to say (laughs) so um that's where i'm at on that front so um like this is a top 10 i'm gonna start at number one i'm gonna start at the most important because i'm gonna get it out of the way because you all know what it is so i'm gonna go one two three and 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 so on I'm, i'm sure most of you learned how to count um, in your lives up to this point. Um, I will also be sipping occasionally from my drink. Um, these are all, it's weird. Like I watch a lot of, um, I watch a lot of live streamers these days. Um, and I watch their like highlights of their stream type thing. And sometimes just witnessing somebody in their natural habitat, living their normal life is really, um, Ah, like interesting in some way um and i don't know i I just i gave you that visual because i thought it might be interesting for you to know that i went to mcdonald's earlier and um they gave me one of these paper straws and the paper straws stress me out because i feel like i have to drink the drink really quickly or the paper straw is going to wilt and my drink will become chunky and papery and um, it just feels horrible on my mouth. It's actually not even a relief to drink it. It's more like it feels like a chore that I have to accomplish. Um, so anyways, into the albums, right? Um, these are, I guess, like from, I guess, one to five are all like super important albums that I still listen to to this day. And then 
after that, like, anything is up for grabs. These are the first fucking ten that came to my head, and tomorrow I might think of an album that I should have put on and didn't. So I, I just, I cannot stress to you how little effort I'm putting into this, um, but also how hard I strive to bring you this this grade A content where I couldn't even be fucking bothered to render the video in full HD, even though it's just a graphic. Anyway, <laughs> I do actually love you all. Um, this this podcast, irrespective of its, um, you know, complete lack of glamour and things like that, has actually been a, a very good source of, uh, I don't know cathartic thought for me and and i like that and also this podcast has taught me how to say the th sound when i talk and i don't fucking talk like this in real life but as soon as i press record this voice comes out and it is what it is um i'm also tired so whatever so album number one in my top 10 this being the most important album in my life is spiritual machines by our lady peace you will all know about this album um i'm gonna try my best when i talk about it to not repeat things that i've already said about this album um it is about one thing in particular it's about technological singularity i've said this many many times um but some interesting things to note about this album is that it came out in december 2012 which was let me do the maths real quick um 15 months after they released their last album which was called happiness is not a fish that you can catch so that album came out in september uh, 1999 and this one came out in december 2000 um Happiness is Not a Fish That You Can Catch was an album that was like fused with philosophical musings and tracks with very catchy hooks that dealt with themes like atheism, nihilism, depression, and just this downright sense of like staring into the void looking for answers. Um, and that album followed from their 1997 album, Clumsy, which was like a meditation on the human condition in general and, and uh, the, the will of the human spirit and, and all of the different things that can go wrong in your brain and stuff like that. Um, but Spiritual Machines was... Like, listening to this album was the first time I ever questioned, like, the concept of AI. Um, obviously, it introduced me to the technological singularity. Um, and, and even stuff like George Orwell's book, 1984. And, like... Outside of those types of themes, it, it, there's something in this album about climbing your way out of despair. Like, there's a track called Are You Sad? And then it's followed up by a track called Made to Heal. And I think that just that track placement is really interesting because Are You Sad is a very, very down uh, tempo kind of song. It is sad. Um, and if you are really sad and you listen to it, it will make you feel like yes, this is the way that I feel. But then the next one is called Made to Heal, and it's got lots of, um, I guess, like, superhero imagery in it. Um, and and it's sort of... It, it, it evokes this sense of triumph, I think, um, and, and self-confidence and things like that. And it's just... It's a really interesting um, comparison of, of tracks to me. Um, but the whole album is just stylistically so different to anything they had done before, and they didn't really have one particular sound before then. Their first four albums are all completely different from each other and all equally as good, although I think Navid, their debut album, is actually the weakest of the four, and it's very strange for a band's debut album to be their weakest one. Um, Long-term fans of mine will know that this album is loosely based on Ray Kurzweil's book, The Age of Spiritual Machines, and I've talked about that a lot. Um, but not every song is, is like, it is a concept album, but not every song is specifically about robots 
like coming in and changing the world or whatever like the first track which is called right behind you and then in brackets the word mafia is quite clearly about record label pressure um there's a line in it that says uh no um imagination disappears and all the dreams you have you save and i always thought that was such an interesting way of saying like I have writer's block, I cannot come up with anything. And I had a crazy dream last night, like let me scribble that down and see if I can make a song around that. And then the final track on the album is this really beautiful and bright ending to the album that restores hope in humanity and it just points towards a wonderful future where humans and machines interact in harmony. And then that that track ends and then there's a a long period of silence, around 15 minutes or so, uh, if I remember right. And there's a conversation between Ray Kurzweil and an AI, and it's uh, it's really interesting and it's really cool. Um, but I really dig that thing because, like, I've always really liked sci-fi, and I've always been into, particularly when I was younger, shows like The Twilight Zone and The Outer Limits were um, were really like I don't know, like significant in my development and significant in honing in my interests and things that I like. I liked the way they had philosophical themes, but it was digestible enough for. Uh, fucking like six-year-old or seven-year-old child like I was at the time Um, and I think if there were such a concept as music albums that could be Twilight Zone episodes (laughs) I would have spiritual machines in there that's a fucking great idea for a video essay um, that I might do someday I'm gonna write that one down I'm not I don't write things down but um let me just really quickly plug in my phone charger here Sorry about this. I'm a professional. This is uh, what we do. So I might be going out later and I'll need to have a full battery. So um, that is Spiritual Machines. It, like, it's a fantastic album. I really recommend that the 3% of you who haven't heard it by this point, uh, just go and listen to it. Um, put earphones in. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a very beautiful album. Uh, so track number two is called White Pony and it is by a band called Deftones and it's their third album it came out in the year 2000 Um, and Deftones are a really really interesting band to me I I think they're one of the most um, frustratingly misunderstood bands of all time I think that they have been pigeonholed by their early days and no matter what they do they just cannot escape the clutches of new metal and the reputation damage that it causes Um, but there's something really interesting about them that Uh, I I guess I will do my very, very best to explain, but um, White Pony is... um, So like I said, it came out in the year 2000. In 1995, Deftones arrived on the scene with an album called Adrenaline, and for all intents and purposes, it is a new metal album, or maybe you could call it pre-new metal, because I think in the mid-90s, new metal was still trying to figure out what it was. And if you don't know what new metal is, it's basically a fusion of metal music and hip-hop music, and it's... I mean, like, I am a new metal apologist, but, like, it isn't particularly good. It, it doesn't really hold up in this day and age. Um, I think people will look at new metal, or, sorry, people look at new metal now, like how people will look at Post Malone and, uh, like, other types of SoundCloud rap uh, in, in like, 10 years, or maybe 15 years, um, or maybe 15 minutes. Who knows? It's a crazy world these days. But um, their second album was called Around the Fur, and that came out in, fuck, 97 was Around the Fur, I think. Um, and there's a track on that. Around the Fur is is kind of pretty much new metal mixed with, I don't know what, like shoegaze or something. Um, but there's a track on it called Be Quiet and Drive, and then in brackets, Fire Away. And it is like, honestly, like 
it, it's one of the most beautiful songs ever made. I saw um, Pitchfork Media described it as new metal's answer to There Is A Light That Never Goes Out by The Smiths. And I always think about that reference when I think about that song because I think that's what it is. It's like, it's just one of the most profound songs of that era from those types of bands. And um, it's dreamy and like, it's like, it's dreamy and scary but interesting enough that you would follow it down the dark road that it's trying to take you. Um, I really hope I don't sound pretentious. Like, I haven't written this down. This is, <laughs> um, But then they took three years out, and the story goes that all the guys from Deftones were living on boathouses in, like, I, I think they're originally from Sacramento or somewhere in... Maybe they're from North California. I'm not too sure. Um, but they, they're, like, all skater dudes, and... Um, they got offered a fairly substantial advance for this album, I would assume, <clears throat> um, because they talk about their partying habits uh, in the late 90s and then the build-up to this album. And basically, they were just like um, hoovering up piles of cocaine off of tables at strip clubs and things like that. And um, these are just five like average guys from California. And... Um, their songs are strange, but not not essentially complex or like I don't I don't know. But uh, this is all anyway. I'm just I'm planting this idea so that I can counter it with with the album itself. Um, but that's what they're like. They they were so addicted to Tony Hawk Skater, uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater Two, that they almost missed every single fucking deadline for this album with the label. Um, and they didn't know what kind of album they wanted to make themselves. And they had a lot of infighting over this. I think in particular Chino Moreno, the the vocalist and lyricist, um, kept arguing with Stephen Carpenter, who's the lead guitarist in the band, uh, over which creative direction that they should take. And they sort of took a, an approach. Um, I think Chino says that one of the main inspirations for it was this album called you'd prefer an astronaut from a band called hum um and then also uh fucking what's that pink floyd album the fucking one with uh, dark side of the moon and this album is frequently called dark side of the moon of new metal and it just it, it doesn't sound like a new metal album at all there's a couple of songs on there like maybe elite um and maybe korea i guess that sound like their new metal songs but but it's just this album is otherworldly and ethereal and ghostly and not like any other album of the time. It's like, um, I, I, I wish I knew the exact words to use, but I never do when I talk about this band and this album. It, it's so just surreal and, and not like the kind of music that you would expect. Um, but there's the lead single is called Change in the House of Flies, and it was released some five months maybe i think before the actual album um and people were shocked by the sound but it charted really well it it it, it gathered a lot of new fans for them um but the label said that they couldn't hear a second single in the whole album at all and they didn't know what they were going to do about that so um chino moreno made a song called back to school which takes the chorus from another song on the album and turns it into a new metal song and then they tack that onto the front and i think that kind of ruined the album's legacy somewhat because like when i listen to this album that song is not on the front i have like the original copy of the album that doesn't have back to school on it um oh, i feel like i'm rambling and no one really knows what i'm talking about anyway this album is is 
it's like beautiful but it's also heavy um and it's it's mixed really well it was produced by terry date i'm pretty sure uh, i hope it was because when you say something like that you definitely sound like you know what you're talking about um but it's got it's got a track on it called teenager which is just like a really beautiful like i don't know it's basically a pop song um and then it's followed up by a track called knife party which is like just this fucking <laughs> ridiculous i don't even know how to describe it it's like a drug binge orgy kind of song um, but it involves knives and blood. <laughs> and um, Chino said that he he dreamt up the idea for that song when he was on um, the tour bus and everybody had these knives that they got from a, f- a fucking sponsor or something like that. They all had a certain type of knife. And Chino imagined this weird sex party involving rich people where they like stab each other for arousal and stuff like that. And there's another track on it called Digital Bath, which is one of their most beautiful songs, I think. Um, and it's about like this couple at a party that go for a bath together and the guy um when the woman is in the bath the guy throws in a toaster and she dies and he takes her out and dries her off and puts her clothes back on and it's just this real like surreal ghostly sort of feeling um and that kind of treads through the entire album it's like a trip to listen to honestly it's such a fucking tight album um i really really love it and i can't recommend it enough so um, I definitely should have written down notes. I feel like I'm not really coming across very well. It's also, the, the whole album is about cocaine. Like, what what what's there not to like? So, album number three. How far into this am I? Like, fucking 20 minutes you've been listening to me? Um, album number three is called Darkness on the Edge of Town, and it's by a gentleman called Bruce Springsteen. And I don't actually think it's my favorite Springsteen song to sit down and listen to, but there is a certain mood you can get in where this album is like a warm blanket to your sores. Um, I feel like the first time I would have heard this, I would have been about 10 years old, and I was not exactly raised in a strong Springsteen household, but my mum had his greatest hits album and we'd listen to it in the car and I used to think Born in the USA was the greatest song ever and like Dancing in the Dark was pretty good um but I always loved Born to Run for its um I guess it puts all of these positive emotions into what is a really negative uh, situation of a guy who just really wants to leave a town and Born to Run is like a uh, like it's like he's stuffing everything left from his youth and his youthful naivety into one last chance to get out of the town that he's in and make something out of himself and then darkness on the edge of town is like he's done that but he's crushed by the realities of the working life and what what real life is like and how much he has to grind just to stay in the working class that he's in and things like that um it opens with a track called badlands which is um by all accounts like a a pretty positive sounding track he he um he usually starts his concerts with this song. I've seen him live eight times, and I think he started with Badlands five times out of all of those. Um, and the the second track is called Adam Raised a Cane, and it's about his difficulties with his father um, and the fact that they never really saw eye to eye. And it's probably Springsteen's angriest song, and I, I really like that. There's just so much inner turmoil that comes out in that song, and it sounds really uh, profound and... Um, I don't know, it just really, really resonates with me. Then there's two tracks on it called... One is called Something in the Night and one is called Streets of Fire. And both of these songs are... I feel like they're born out of working-class hopelessness um, and just how you can be crushed by the monotony of the 9-to-5 working schedule and just how bad that can be. And there's a track on it called Candy's Room, which is just 
I, I think it's an incredible track. It's very uplifting and soaring and really easy to sing along to. And it, it builds to this like really hopeful crescendo in the middle. I don't know what a crescendo is, but that sounds really accurate when I say it. Um, and then the final track on it is called Darkness on the Edge of Town, which is, uh, I believe, a track about his relationship with his first wife, whom he cheated on with his second wife. And I think um, it's a very... Uh, it's a sad song and it's a bit angry and I don't know there's something I don't know it kind of casts a shadow on the image I have in my head of Bruce Springsteen and it's interesting and I want to follow it and see where it goes um I also should mention there's a song on it called Racing in the Street which is just like it would bring a tear to your eye (laughs) if it were played in the appropriate context Uh, it's a it's a very very nice song I was lucky enough to see him play it live once in Barcelona Um, and it's pretty much just a song about it it might be the most here let me just pull up some lyrics on this uh, so that I can tell you why I think this is the most Springsteen of the Springsteen songs Uh, let me go to genius here Hold on, this is professional. Oh, I can drink some of my Coke while this is loading. Um, let's see here. Um, so there's a line that goes like, nah, not that one. For all the shut down strangers and hot rod angels rumbling through this promised land, tonight me and my baby, we're gonna ride to the sea and wash these sins off our hands. I think that might be the most Springsteenian lyric of all time. Um, and more on that with the next album that I'm going to talk about, interestingly. But um, I just, if you don't want to listen to this whole album, fine. Um, but listen to Racing in the Street. It's like six minutes and 53 seconds long, but it is just fantastic. And it's a story. And, and you can close your eyes and just visualize everything that he's talking about. And I think that is is what defines Bruce Springsteen, is his ability to drum up these characters. Like, movies have been made on the premise of a Bruce Springsteen song, um, which is just crazy to think about. Like, the guy is just in a league of his own. Um, So the next album that I have on the list... Oh, shit, it's not the one that I thought it was. Ignore that comment I said about whatever the next album having Springsteenian uh, themes. Because the next album is The Eminem Show by... Who made this album? No, just kidding. Um, This, when I was... uh, I want to say nine years old, possibly even... How old would I have been when the Slim Shady LP came out? Was that 97? Um, I feel like that could well have been 97, but I remember the track My Name Is. Um, Yeah, I think it was before I moved to Dublin. And I thought My Name Is was a pretty cool song. Like, it was fun. When you're younger, you like the real Slim Shady and My Name Is and Without Me and, like, the shittier songs in his collection. I don't know. I don't like when music and comedy fuse. Like, I'm just not really overly about that. But um, the Slim Shady LP, I remember listening to it a lot as a kid and I thought that it was great, but I didn't really understand any of it. And the same with the Marshall Mathers LP. Like, I remember, like, listening to that, I would rap along to, to like, the words of, of the song Kim, which is about murdering his ex-wife. And I wouldn't really fully know what the fuck I was talking about. I, like, I probably didn't even know all the words. You know, I would say, like, where he says, so long, bitch, you did me so wrong. I would probably sing something like, so wrong, I bet you got me so... Like, something like that. Like, I probably didn't even know I was too naive or whatever. But the Eminem show came out when I was at the very... 
beginning of my teen angst phase and this album kind of made me feel like it was okay to feel angry at everything i feel like the eminem show is is when eminem is at his most um self-aware he knows exactly who he is in this album and what he knows about himself is that he doesn't know who he is (laughs) oh that's such a shitty thing i just said it sounds so fucking lame but um like the, the themes in this album are stuff like the pressures of fame and how like people sue him everything that he does like he's he's got like legal teams contacting him all the time the media are are implying that he's responsible for like reprehensible acts committed by um, people that were huge news stories at the time he rails against um the bush administration in it he he talks about um the way the conservative government treats its citizens he talks about censorship he talks about his relationship with his mother in probably one of his darkest songs cleaning out my closet um and he also just (laughs) i don't know if i'm too white to say this but like he spits fire and venom in a way that i don't feel like he does on any other album like yeah like rap god is really good but like it's a bunch of gibberish whereas a song like till i collapse um or even to a lesser extent soldier um and even like i fucking love square dance people say that that song is bad and that the hook is terrible or whatever but i think that, that it's pretty damn great um but just the stuff that he talks about he's so angry and it's so real and it's so raw and it, it's just a fucking vicious album um now a lot of rap albums used to conform to an entirely different sort of concept than uh, a rock and roll or a metal album where they have skits in them and they have comedy tracks and they have like tracks where they have to make a song that will play in the club and they have to make a song that's going to be a love song and this album does that too but it does it in a specifically Eminem way where it's like the love song is probably um superman um so it's like Eminem's take on a love song in that it is definitely got the vibe of a love song but he says lots of horrible things that you would never actually say to a woman um so it's good i don't know it's 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 a real journey this album is um and i think that's probably all that i have to say about it unfortunately um it just it just came at the right time in my life i don't even think it's necessarily the best of the trilogy of of eminem albums from the slim shady lp to the marshall matters lp to the eminem show but it's definitely my favorite. It's definitely the one that resonated with me the most. And it's also the one that I've never really been able to put down. Um, I get very... What's the word? I fall out of favor with Eminem a lot these days because I feel like he's just not doing himself any favors. And I feel like he's tarnishing the legacy that he had built for himself when I was younger. And I shouldn't have to feel that way. Like, that's, like, stupid. That's on me. Um, but, yeah, I will forever love this album for what it is. Um, so the next album is uh called the 59 sound by a band called the gaslight anthem and this album was released in 2008 but most people wouldn't have heard it until 2009 in the summertime when the gaslight anthem played at glastonbury and bruce springsteen appeared with them on stage and um the sales for the album rose by 500 percent after that so that will tell you something they were definitely a band going places which is evidenced by the fact that they were actually playing glastonbury in the first place um but their debut album sink or swim 
was it didn't actually carry the sink or swim mantra quite as well as the 59 sound does um sink or swim was like a, a basement punk rock album that got played in skate parks and dorm rooms but didn't really get a whole lot of like traction on radio or anything like that the 59 sound did they went to california to record the 59 sound and they really put everything they had into this like if this didn't work out i don't know what they would be doing but the way they talk about it and the way they talk about those days it just seems like this was it for them and they had to make it and that's why they made it um but this album from the very first second or two is like stepping into a time machine um but like it's a time machine to a parallel universe past where it takes like all the heart and emotion from Bruce Springsteen's past and dresses it up in skate punk clothes it's it's really really interesting every song has this sort of faded echoey um production quality in it and that was to simulate uh, the cassette tape track whenever you used to play cassettes like for a long long time they would start to wither and they would change in quality over time they would get worse and worse um and this one is just supposed to sound like that it like it sounds so much like a vinyl record from the 60s um and it's just really really good the, the cover of it looks like the cover of a jazz album from the 60s and the the title tracks are stuff like miles davis and the cool or um high lonesome film noir that kind of thing um it's an album full of nostalgia for an era that this that the band themselves definitely never lived in um but they it's like it's an album from people who were raised on humphrey bogart and miles davis um but they're somehow punk rock band. Like, I don't really fully understand how this came to be. Um, but the 59 sound is a tribute to a friend of theirs who died in a car crash. And one of the things I find most interesting about this song is that it is undoubtedly the standout single of the album. And you would know that even if you didn't know that Bruce Springsteen played it um, or played on it at Glastonbury. Um, but like none of the words in it rhyme or anything like that. It's actually really interesting when you read the lyrics like this song is just all heart and um a really interesting moment of like interlacing guitars when uh brian fallon and alex's guitars sort of just um i don't know they they kind of crash into each other and bleed into one another on the track and it just sounds really good the whole album is pretty much like that um but it's it's really good it's also filled with quotes and references to tom petty and bob dylan and tom waits and bruce springsteen and things like that and um, but the final track on it is called the backseat and it sounds like a sort of a country music rock opera at the start and you can really hear how every note in this song matters like every time um it gets to the chorus or, or just the way that brian fallon sings this song there's so much heart in it and so much determination it just sounds exactly like a band doing everything they can to make it it's the spirit of born to run and it's modernized and dressed up in punk rock clothes and that's what it sounds like to me but this album is honestly like sensational i cannot recommend it enough i don't keep track of what i say so if i've said that about all the albums so far fuck it it's true you should listen to all of these albums but if you haven't listened to the 59 sound like you should really get on it um i actually met um alex rosimalia from the gaslight anthem like quite recently and i bought him a beer so that was pretty cool that's just me throwing in my uh 
bragging into this. Now, I don't have the uh, track listings for these next albums, so just bear with me while I Google them. Um, the next one is called Oh, and it's by an Irish singer-songwriter called Damien Rice. And this isn't really an album that I listen to anymore, but there was, I'd say, a two-year period in my life where this album pretty much defined me, both in its mood, in what I was listening to, and what I was feeling at the time. Um, it's got tracks that you will all know, like The Blower's Daughter and Cannonball, um, but there's a song on it called Volcano that was always like just really... Uh, I don't know, like always on my mind, always in my head, a really good, like lasting song that's easy to sing along to and stuff like that. Um, I find this album really tough to listen to nowadays because it brings back like lots of sad memories for me and times when I was like not really entirely happy. It's got a very high Metacritic score as well, which is like good because he's Irish. <laughs> um, one thing that I really appreciated about Damien Rice was that it didn't matter if if he was i'm talking about him like he's dead he's not dead he's very much alive thank god but um if he was playing like on a radio show promoting his album uh, and like like let's say he's he's singing on a local radio station in some fucking bally go backwards town in the south of ireland to like a hundred people he still sang that song with the exact same emotion and meaning that it has and it's um it's really like surreal to listen to um it's like you're just hearing someone's soul bleed into your ears and it's um i don't know it's it's something like i'll always be very grateful for because when you're sad you listen to sad music and um it doesn't actually make you feel worse it makes you feel better because it makes you realize that you're not alone and this album was very much like a good friend to me in like a darker time in my life i feel like if anyone ever quotes this and writes it down i'm just gonna seem like the fucking biggest nerd ever in the world but going off of the same uh types of feeling here the next album basically did the exact same thing for me um it's called the fragile by nine inch nails but this is actually a trick inclusion because i don't mean the whole album it's a double album and nobody has ever made a good double album but this is a damn good actually that's a lie london calling by the clash is a great double album um but this album in total is like almost two hours long and it's got a left side and a right side instead of a side a and a side b and the left side specifically is the one that i'm talking about it's one of my favorite um albums just as a standalone piece um the right disc is good too but i don't like every song on it but i like all of them on the left disc um also not every song is exactly a song some of them are like interludes and stuff like the frail for example and pilgrimage but um it starts off with a song called Somewhat Damaged that I think a lot of people will know from The Walking Dead. It was in the episode when some guy died and his mother was listening to it on CD. And um, she was like, turn it off because it reminded her too much of her son. And it's just pretty funny because in real life, a mother would make someone turn this off because of how it sounds. Um, but track two on it is called The Day the World Went Away. And it's only eight lines long, but it's got this incredibly just sonically assaulting sound. Um, that bursts into your eardrums when you first hear it. I used to blare this album in my house when I lived in Scotland, and one time one of my friends was over, and when The Day the World Went Away came on, he had to turn it off because he had never heard music that sounded like that before, and he was so disturbed and put out by it that he just couldn't listen to it anymore. Um, so I always found that to be pretty cool. There's also a track on it called We're In This Together, and if you have any interest in listening to this album at all, 
you're gonna have to listen to this song probably first and watch the video too because it's a damn interesting video um this album might also be one of those ones that would be a good twilight zone episode in album form or whatever i said earlier it sounded great when i said it earlier um but yeah there's there's just some really good tracks on this there's also a track called uh even deeper which uh, interestingly samples dr dre or nwa i'm not sure i can't remember but there's a drum beat on it that comes out of a dr dre track and dr dre himself has a writing credit on it which is pretty cool <clears throat> well been talking for too long need to get a drink um so the negative thing about the fragile is that it's a bit overindulgent at times and you might feel like you need to wash it off you when you're finished but you can't really replace the effect that this would have on somebody suffering from teenage angst it's just like right there it's like visceral and raw and um i don't know it's moving and powerful and angry that's what it is like it's angry and it's sad and it's sad because it's angry and it's angry because it's sad and it's all of these things and they just keep wrapping around each other to no real conclusion but the last two tracks are very beautiful in particular the instrumental track number 11 la mer is um is just uh would be a great song to fall asleep to but um yeah overall it's it's tough to listen to both discs back to back but ah, there are people that do it um i find that very hard to do with any double album like i think at this point you might have to pay me money to get me to listen to melancholy and the infinite sadness by the smashing pumpkins but that's just me um man how did i used to do like 45 minute or fucking didn't I once do a live commentary that was like an hour and 20 minutes of just me playing? I think I played like four games of FIFA or something like that. Um, I don't know. Either way, I'm impressed at the fact that I've talked this long. And I'm even more impressed with you for listening to me the whole way through, buddy. Um, album number eight on this is called Saturdays Equals Youth by M83. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm actually surprised at myself for including this um i should have done this as a vlog i feel like i'm comfortable enough now to you know have my face on the screen but um saturdays equals youth is like the sunny days of your teenage years that you long for when the only responsibilities that you had in the world were to go outside and play football with your friends until it was dark um this album is just that basically there's a track on it called we own the sky and it's one of the most beautiful songs that i've ever heard in my life um it's like an electronic album i think everything let me just check this list that i have this is all like guitar music and eminem but this one is electronic uh m83 is i believe he's french but his name is anthony gonzalez which makes me want to just double check my yeah french electronic band m83 um but yeah it's just beautiful it's it's just it's um tropical textures and 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 sun-kissed vibes and uh and what are some other things hashtag soundscapes and um yeah it's it's where it's you know it's where it's at i, w I would recommend this album if you long for the days of youth and uh, i don't think i have anything else to say about it um, the next one on the list is the Black Album by Metallica. I don't need to look at the track list for this one. All I can say is that the first bands that I was ever introduced to in my life were Beastie Boys, um, but they're a curveball. The rest of it is like ACDC, Van Halen, uh, Iron Maiden, 
and eventually I, I found Metallica and the Black Album in particular because it's a very accessible album um, people Metallica fans are split up into two camps they're the people who think that only the trash metal counts that's trash is in TH um, so people think that and Justice for All Ride the Lightning Kill Em All and, and Master of Puppets um, are the only Metallica that exists and I guess like you would have to include Hardwired to self-destruct in that because that is like very much a return to that to those days um, as far as I understand and then there's like the Black Album which was produced by a guy called Bob Rock and he's a very hated man he produced um, Slippery When Wet by Bon Jovi that was like his kind of deal he was very good at turning singers into rock stars i would say um but he he actually took over producing for our lady peace in 2002 and then like slowly ruined the band <laughs> so i'm not his biggest fan but like he is fucking incredible at what he does if you listen to james hetfield singing before the black album it's all like um uh, what's even a fucking song from those days i'm drawing a blank here because i'm thinking of so much music but like if you take um like master of puppets um it's like falling faster obey your master whereas if he were to sing that after bob rock got a hold of him it'd be like falling faster <laughs> that's what he sounds like on every song on the black album there's like a track called sad but true and he's not like sad but true he's like sad but true <laughs> there's like only one syllable in that fucking song man what are you doing uh it's ridiculous and and once you learn that it's actually impossible to listen to ever again but i dig the black album and i don't give a fuck because i don't feel shame about the things that i like anymore um but this album to me when i first uncovered it uh kind of opened the door to metal being this um or, or i guess like hard rock music being this really weird uh like non-conformist wearing black having your hood up and sitting at your computer instead of going out and playing football with your friends kind of vibe and um i always appreciated that because it made me feel like i wasn't a weirdo for liking the things that i like um and the lyrics in it are very um i don't know there's some kind of cross between like mythological deeply personal and strongly metaphorical and it just works really well as a concept like if you think about some of the most quintessential and i guess to this point cliches of metal music they are things like snakes and goblins and dragons and all of that um i think this album manages to ride that wave but build it into a mainstream framework that doesn't make it seem nerdy and lame and in fact gives it some kind of stadium swagger and um smoother sounds and things like that so uh, for that reason it's a dope album and it holds up and that's why it's number nine um number 10 is actually uh, probably the strangest inclusion that i have on this list it's by a band called explosions in the sky and it is technically not an album it's a soundtrack to a movie called friday night lights which is the uh american baseball no just kidding the american football show um it, it's like a tv show but it's also a movie the soundtrack is specifically the movie and i've never even fucking seen the movie so i don't know why this album resonates with me so much but it does um, and i should see the movie but i just think that american football is so fucking terrible as a concept that i don't know how a movie about it can be good but um i guess with a soundtrack like this can it really be bad 
Um, there's no words in this soundtrack. It is all just music and instrumental, and it's, I think, 45 minutes long in total. And it includes a smaller, more condensed version of Explosions in the Sky's most famous piece of music, which is called Your Hand in Mine. Um, and there's actually two iterations of it on this album. One is called uh, With Strings. And if you, when you were younger and seeing YouTube videos of Joe Rogan talking about um, black holes and how strange the world is and all of that, it was usually always with Your Hand in Mind by Explosions in the Sky playing in the background. Um, and I think this album builds around that track really well. Um, there's a song towards the end of it called Our Last Days as Children. And it just, I don't know, just even the title combined with this really like emotive music. Um, I don't know what it is. It sort of like, it, it sort of has this resonance of sadness and longing for lost youth, but also it builds this will to face the future and sort of straighten up your shoulders and look upwards and um i don't know that's how it always felt to me when i listened to it it's uh it's a very i mean if you don't like instrumental music and you need your music to have words lyrics like you're not really going to give a shit about this you'll skip past it but um if if you're the type of person who's able to do nothing but listen to music like if you can just sit down with earphones in and have that be the thing that you do uh, this album i think will really take you places and if not it's a good one to fall asleep to um I wanted to actually put in some honorable mentions that I think I wrote down somewhere. Uh, one sec, let me take a drink. What time is it? It's 22 9. Alright, uh, how long have I been recording here? Is that right? Have I been talking for 50 minutes? Like, how do you people listen to me? <clears throat> um, so, honorable mentions here. I want to throw in the documentary by The Game, which came out in 2000. Oh, this is my real strength is knowing the years that things came out I want to say 2006 for the documentary um, it's like not the best rap album of all time or anything like that but it's it's the game's first album and I'm a huge fan of the game I know that he is a figure um, who just exists to be ridiculed by rap fans because all of his tracks and all of the words he chooses to rhyme are just the names of famous rappers but we didn't know that when the documentary came out and the documentary was fresh and new and it took the G-Unit thing and West Coastized it. Um, I feel like it did for gangster rap what The Chronic did for West Coast rap back in like 94 or whatever. And I know people who will like downright make fun of me for saying that, but like I remember the time you know, in, in fucking, in Dublin, the heart of West Coast rap, um, no, but, like, I remember back then, like, the biggest rapper at the time was, like, 50 Cent, and the other biggest was, like, Ja Rule, outside of, you know, Eminem and stuff, I mean, like, Eminem, rap was this really weird place back then, like, you people probably don't even know what a music channel is, right, but back then, you had, like, fucking 18 music channels, and whenever there was an advert on The Simpsons, you would flick to the music channels and skip through till you find songs that you like, and if you wanted to listen to Eminem, you would find, you'd find, like, with out me and my name is and the real slim shady you would find those on kiss and um uh, fucking i don't know mtv whatever um but if you wanted to hear like cleaning out my closet or sing for the moment you'd have to go to kerrang or scuzz um 
and that's where Eminem was. Uh, he even says it in the way I am, where he's like, um, um, "I'm pigeonholed into some poppy sensation that got me rotation at rock and roll stations," um, and that's what happened. He he became a fucking MTV two alternative. Like it, it was really strange. That was where Eminem was. If you wanted hip hop and you went to like uh, MTV Urban um, and those types of channels, you would find Fifty Cent, Ja Rule. Um, you'd find like they'd play like old school Dr. Dre stuff but like all the new rap that they were playing was stuff like that um, and the game came along and was like the documentary is, is a really fucking fresh album if you look at it through those lenses um, there's like there's a song on it called Dreams which is uh, produced by Kanye West it sounds incredible there's a song called Church for Thugs which is produced by Just Blaze and it's really good like I like all the lyrics on it I like all the beats I like all the lyrics um some of the songs I still listen to to this who am I kidding I listen to this whole album all the time it's really good um but I guess like when I was younger I used to really like Tupac and I used to listen to lots of Tupac but I don't think I ever really got rap music because I never felt like I belonged sort of listening to it like I didn't it just didn't feel like me um, but when the documentary came out I was like oh right rap music can be like this and like these are all things that I I, I know everything that he's talking about here they're all like contemporary references or, or else parts of urban legends that I know and it just opened the door to a lot of new like rap music for me and um it's dope fuck you um the next album I guess I actually have loads of these written down um, there's one called uh, Vol Tree, the Subliminal Verses, which is Slipknot's. Like I know it's called Vol Tree, but it's technically their fourth album. Um, it is very good, in my opinion. It is the best metal album ever made. Um, I think it is the closest thing to a perfect metal album. I think it is a fucking perfect metal album. I think it has all the elements required to make a metal album perfect. It's got everything. It's got um, like. It's got flashes of, of uh, melodic notes in there that I think if you are not a hardened metal listener, you won't hear at all. It will just sound like noise to you. But if you listen to metal music, I think this is a very good album to listen to because of how varied the style is. Um, I also think it just knows exactly what it's good at and it builds up to it really well. I think this was produced by Rick Rubin. And... Um, there's a track on it called Tree Nil, which is just so fucking good. And then that fades into Duality, which is obviously like one of their best songs. Then there's a track called um, Pulse of the Maggots, which is just an incredibly powerful track. Then there's The Nameless, and it ends with a track called Danger Keep Away, which is Slipknot at their most vulnerable, um, certainly up to that point anyway. It's it's their most songy song, maybe, apart from, I guess, Vermilion or Vermilion Part 2. Um, I'm not a huge fan of those, but I like every song on this album. Um, another shout out to Blink-182's self-titled album from 2003. Uh, it's a really good, um, mature album from a band who previously had titles such as Take Your Pants, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, and the other one was Enema of the State. Um, they had track titles like Dick Lips and... Um, stuff like that. What was that? Dumpweed. Yeah, that was the other one. And uh, dysentery. Is that the word? Dysentery, Gary. But um, yeah, they were like a, a childish pop punk toilet humor band into their twenties, and then they came out with this self-titled album, which is great. 
Um, starts off with a track called Feeling This, which is like, it's Blink. Blink-182 always knew their way around a sing-alongable chorus. Like, they are one of the masters of that, especially in the in the pop-punk type era. Like, uh, you take a song like Fat Lip by Sum 41, Blink-182 have, like, fucking 20 of those songs. Um, it was nothing to them. And Feeling This, I think, has their most summary and most sing-alongable track. Um, it's like a fucking anthem uh, for Blink fans. And then... Um, I mean, there's loads of tracks on it I love, and there's loads of songs on it that you love too. Like you love "I Miss You," like whoever you are, and you're saying that oh, I don't like "I Miss You." I'm sick. I heard it a million times. Like bullshit, man. If that song comes on somewhere, like in the car or whatever, like you're gonna sing along with it, and you're gonna do the weird voice things that Tom DeLonge does, and I know that you are. So stop fucking lying to yourself about it. And um, but there's a track on it called "Astenia," which is one of the later tracks in it. And it's about a guy who's stuck up in space and he doesn't know if he even wants to go back to Earth because it's such a horrible, bleak place. And Tom DeLonge sings it wonderfully. It sounds like a spacey track, like it's beamed in from a satellite somewhere. It's it's great. Um, there's also a song on there called All of This, which has Robert Smith from The Cure, which leads me nicely into my next shout-out, which is for Disintegration, uh, which is probably the best Cure album. I actually think the Fragile is is nine inch nails is trent reznor's attempt at making an album like disintegration um disintegration is everything i love about the fragile but better it's just that it didn't reach me in time i think i was like 16 when i first heard disintegration so um disintegration is also overlong and um a little bit overindulgent but it is a masterpiece like it is an absolutely sensational album it's just very very sad and very dark and what else would you expect from, like, you know, the fucking pioneers of goth music? Um, I'm going to give a shout-out to Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavored Water by Limp Bizkit, and I don't give a fuck how much people don't like them or whatever. That album was there for me as an angry teen when I needed it, and I respect them for it. I wasn't a teen. I was, like, fucking nine years old when this album came out. But uh, I knew every song off by heart. Uh, I'd say I probably listened to this album like 150,000 times. I still know all the lyrics to it. I don't really listen to it that much, only when I get drunk, but I do very much... um, I do have a very special place in my heart for this album. I know that Significant Other is a better Limp Bizkit album, but that just didn't reach me in time. I wasn't really um, at the age that they needed me to be when they released Nucky. But I will say this, Rearranged from that album is probably their best song. I feel like I I might have cut out there a little uh, and if I did I'm not saying all the stuff that I said again so you're just gonna have to guess what it was um I'm just gonna I'm gonna just quickly rattle off um the rest of these albums that I have here so um there is the Stone Roses their debut album uh it is a masterpiece from start to finish it builds off of so many different genres and I think Ian Brown's voice is so subtle and understated that it just gives so much more weight to the music in the songs and um, but also lyrically it's just fantastic like there's a track on it called Waterfall um, and it's got the lines uh, let me think see the steeple pines the hills as old as time soon to be put to the test to be whipped by the winds of the west and that is just beautiful that's poetry um, and there's another one on uh, made of stone which is a track about 
somebody driving along a motor. I mean, so it's not specifically about this, but I know that Ian Brown wrote Made of Stone based off of his... Maybe it was actually Squire who wrote it. Either way, it was based off of, like, driving um, down the fucking... Uh, M13 listening or uh, just at nighttime looking at the sky and there's a line in it that's like no land just sky it's so serene um, but there's another line that goes and for as far as I can see tin twisted grills grin back at me talking about like the grill of a car um, and it's just uh, very very good imagery like very strong very underrated I think as an album uh, I don't think people give enough credit to the Stone Roses lyrics um, and I think that they should. <laughs> Next album is... So this album is definitely not good. It's definitely aged terribly, but it was huge for me when I was when I was younger, and that's uh, Strange We Should Meet Here by Idiot Pilot. Um, I listened to it for about two years straight when I was old enough to know better, but I fucking love it, um, and I don't care, so fuck all of you. Um, the next one is Take Care by Drake. I only put this because I felt like I should put more rap on it. I could take this album or leave it. It's great. I know all the words. I rap along to it and stuff. But if it didn't exist, there would be no hole in my life as a result of that. The next album is Transgender Dysphoria Blues by Against Me, which is... It's only, I think... It's like 29 minutes long or something. Um, and I think... I've put this album here because it has all of the elements of previous Against Me albums, but it's also got like all of the pain um, that Laura Jane Grace experienced uh, during what would have been like an incredibly difficult time for her. And it's worth listening to for that reason. Like it's a type of pain that people are just not really familiar with. Um, and it like... I don't know. It's it's a, a very, very strong album. I, like, my friends will tell you that I used to talk about this for fucking hours at a time, um, and I had a lot to say about this album, and I regret that I have been talking for an hour now, <laughs> unfiltered, and I can't remember any of the things that I used to say, but... Um, there's a track on it called Black Me Out, which is about how record labels make you feel like you're their slave. And it's a very lovely, melodic opening, beautiful singing, and then a shouty band sing-along chorus about pissing on the walls of somebody's house. And if that doesn't sell the album to you, I don't know what will. But um, you should check it out. It, it's, it's a beautiful mix of um, emotional songy songs and sort of freight train rattling punk rock songs. So I, I would definitely recommend that you listen to that um next up is a thousand sons by lincoln park um it is my favorite album of theirs but uh i guess hypocritically or or what's the word um paradoxic no contradictorily <laughs> it's uh not the most important um i it, that would definitely go to hybrid theory but a thousand sons is just such a great album because it's a a hybrid of of the many different styles of Linkin Park and I think it's got the most creative and um I guess explorative or adventurous instrumentation in it it's got a really good fusion of hip-hop and rock music without sounding like new metal um which is important it sounds like something else there's a lot of really good songs on this um it's also filled with different snippets of um, inspirational pieces of audio, not inspirational, um, really important uh, pieces of audio, like the 
and now I am become death the destroyer of worlds speech um, there's some speech from uh, whoever the fuck I don't know lots of important stuff in there um, but it, it's it sounds like a concept when you listen to it it sounds like a, a concept about the end of the world and um, it's built around this song called The Catalyst which was used on the trailer for Medal of Honor I believe at the time um, but that's one of my favourite Linkin Park songs it, like when a band breaks away from their original sound they create a divide in their fan base and I was very much on the pro everything Linkin Park does side of the fence because I don't really think it's interesting to be like no I want them to make another album like what they made before um and I really welcome the experimentation so um I just feel like they deserve a lot of respect for that that they didn't really get at the time they mostly got criticisms and questions and stuff like that and um despite that they sold millions and millions of records so fuck all y'all um I feel like I should mention Oasis, uh, obviously, definitely, maybe, and What's the Story of Morning Glory are albums that you've all heard from back to front by this point, um, but I would recommend checking out The Master Plan, just because it's, um, it's got a song on it called Rockin' Chair, and it is just, it might be the best Liam Gallagher performance as a singer, and then it's got The Master Plan by Noel, uh, which is just a fantastic song in its own right, um, is half the world away on the master plan? Have I made that up? Let me just get this. I swear to you guys, I do know this stuff, but when you're recording and talking about multiple different albums, it does get very difficult to... Oh yeah, Acquiesce opens it. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, half the world away. Um, Talk tonight, fade away. Listen up. Listen up might be my favorite Oasis song, for real. And then it's good to be free. Like these are kind of understated. Like these are not songs that would sell albums post what's the story morning glory and um definitely maybe but they are really good oasis songs and they really deserve to be seen as such but it's just that the master plan is technically not an album it's a compilation so um i don't know it's it's there's half a great album in there i think if they had like the good half of be here now and the good half of this they would have made a successful third album um, but i actually would really like to talk to you all about the calamity that is be here now someday because I'm very fascinated with albums that bands make that are divisive and uh, and or bad. You know what I mean? Um, I, I like when people point to an album and say, this is where it all went wrong. I like to listen and find out why that's where it all went wrong. But um, yo, for real, I, I'm getting old. And it is really hard for me to talk at the speed that I usually talk without taking any breaks. And I think I deserve, you know, if not your your credit, um, your appraisal, the appraisal of your parents and everyone in your in your family, your nice comments and, and direct messages. I think I deserve all of your money. So like fucking send me it. Um, just I'm just asking for a substantial portion of your wage. So if you could do that. Um, nah, for real, I'm done. I'm tired, and I want to get this up tonight. So, um, hopefully, like you know, at least some people like it or whatever. And if not, like that's cool. <laughs> I still might do my music video or my music channel idea anyway. Who knows? Um, but yeah, it's been nice to to talk to you all again. And I hope that next time there won't be such a long gap in between episodes. Actually, no, I don't because I only fucking uploaded an episode two weeks ago. Jesus. You people want it all. Nah, I'm kidding. I'm done as well. Fuck this.
sun I'm riding passenger Jesus took the wheel when I was burning in the atmosphere well, How am I supposed to satisfy my soul when these satellites They know my alibis are phony These drugs will hurt your hippocampus Man, it's cool, at least I'm hip on campus Cause every day's a canvas Your symmetry is slanted Your bigotry's a cancer Private browser mischief managed and returned to candor Mind is clouded, the old man's still snoring It's cats and dogs and all they faking I ain't even knowing Up creek, paddle stolen All I'm old but no one hears me Every morning, ibuprofen Hell bent, I'm still heaven sent See, mama said you smell good, angel The choir is singing, you know sin Don't box you in, forget the angles You a galaxy with human skin Father God, my beautician No, there ain't no true image Ask Houston, take a look at Lunaman just by yourself and some guy commented like um oh man i'm surprised that at the end you didn't have a clip where you're talking to yourself asking if you should start <laughs> yeah i do remember that yeah that was funny i might do that for this episode actually yeah you should man like there's nothing stopping you from doing it yeah i suppose i actually might anyway are you ready to start yeah all right three two wait 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 let me just get my drink got a coke from mcdonald's to drink <sighs> Hurry up. Alright, I'm ready. Okay, three, two, one, go. <laughs>